Well, thank you so much. Hope family is such a joy. My heart is really full already. Amen. Um, just worshiping Jesus. And thank you, Monica, for just leading us through Christmas song. It is some of the most worshipful uh, lyrics ever. And just to do it together as a family has been awesome. Um, we uh, are starting a new Advent series, and I'll be kicking us off and talking about longing. And then Jake uh, is going to come for the next two weeks, and he'll be talking about our rescue and then also our ultimate hope, um, which uh, I love what the, the masters had talked about, especially Lindsay talking about the hope that we have. Our ultimate hope is in Christ. And then on the 24th, um, Christmas Eve, Jordan will come back and finish us off with a, a sermon on rejoicing and worshiping in Christ and have that time in worship together. And so I'm so excited for where we are going for Advent, and I am so thankful uh, that as we start off Advent, um, some of you have been following along with Peter um, and his uh, situation. Um, he's an overseas member, our founding pastor. He's, he had been detained for about 22 days, but thank God he had been released as of yesterday and by the South Sudanese government. And so we just want to thank you guys so much for praying and fasting and lifting up the family, and they still got a long ways to go. So if you can continue to pray for them, Tuesday seems like a long ways away, especially for the kids. So if y'all can be praying um, for the kids and for Shauna, um, it's been heavy on Shauna, Peter's wife, um, as, uh, and just pray for a swiftness that Peter will be able to you know, process everything, get everything together, and fly home for an incredible uh, reunion with his family. And um, thank you so much. And if you still want to contribute, you can contribute directly to uh, Peter's uh, Pursuit 53. You can find Pursuit53.org um, in, in case you wanted to cover some costs um, for some of the local pastors that they've had to do that since the government wasn't paying for that. But um, just want to let you know that's happening. And yet there is some deep, deep longing. All of us have been deeply longing. Um, and we're so grateful that we're on the, the flip side of that. And uh, we rejoice with that this morning. And so I'm so excited that this is the first day of Advent. Did I say that already? I think I did. Um, <laughs> but I am literally just so excited. And um, I didn't grow up with a church tradition um, to celebrate Advent. So actually, Christmas was little more than a, a very extended break. Uh, uh, honestly, more maybe just a nod to Jesus' birth and then go hit the Christmas after party, after Christmas sales, right? Um, including get all the free stuff. Um, and that changed for me after getting married and then having a child about uh, 13 years ago, having Caleb. And I remember driving home and I was uh, coming home from a Christmas dinner with my family and I realized I had just let the entire month go by and I had not time to celebrate and reflect about Jesus' incarnation. And I told myself, I am not going to do that again. And so I, that next year, I was just so fixed on saying, I want to take intentional time to reflect on Christ's birth and not just let it happen to me. And so that's kind of where I stumbled upon this historical practice of Advent, which is, this is nothing new. It's actually the church has been celebrating it for centuries. And I've just got to be, be invited to be a part of something that was already happening. And then I, I got to read a book by Nancy Guthrie, um, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And, um, and that book challenged me even more than ever before to deeply, deeply ponder the wonder of the incarnation. And the reason why Nancy Guthrie edited this book because she had read so many Christmas devotionals 
that we're not claiming that the stories and the events of scriptures has to be historical and inspired in order for it to be helpful. And so she put it down. She wondered what it would like to have a book that would share a high view of scripture and encase the Advent story within God's unfolding plan of redemption. And, and, so, and so she compiled it from um, new authors um, and also old authors. And so I just got to drink from the well of authors like George Whitfield and John Kelvin and Martin Luther and contemporaries like Tim Keller and Ray Ortland and G.I. Packer to speak on how important Christmas is. Listen to Whitfield, one of my personal favorites, one of my heroes, who exhorted his hearers to think of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did Jesus come into the world to save us from death? And shall we spend no part of our time in conversing about our dear Jesus? Shall we pay no regard to the birth of him who came to redeem us from the worst of slavery, from that of sin and the devil? And shall this Jesus not only be born on our account, but likewise die in our stead? And yet, we shall be unmindful of him. And that pierced my heart deeply because I knew at that point I was being unmindful of, of God. And at that point, I began to see the breathtaking glory of Jesus and his incarnation. And I said, I want to know what it means to be in Israel's shoes, to step in and to wait and to long for their Messiah and our Messiah to come again. And it made me wrestle. How can I make this Advent season uh, into a lifetime of rhythm? Advent is life, somebody had said it. Celebrating Advent had just radically changed me. And as we enter Advent, and as we enter it, I want to encourage you, enter into Israel's shoes. Remember and feel what it's like to wait too long. To be at a point of desperation where you're just longing for the Lord to break in. Maybe you're feeling those kind of things right now. And as you have those longings, those longings are God-given because that allows you to wrestle so much because it uncovers your need for a Savior. And I pray that this would just be a long-term thing. This would be a rhythm that we would encompass and put in our lives as we wait on God, just like Israel did, that we cultivate longings for Jesus year-round. So that's what I want to um, square up and on this idea of longing and, um, and just how and put it its place in redemptive um, history. So let's pray and let's get in. Father, thank you so, so much. Lord, if, if anybody here has any longings, I pray that you would bring it to mind. If any of us here are in a tough season of grief, of loneliness, of depression, of anxiety, maybe just of over-busyness, Father, we want to take a moment right now and say, Lord, we do not want Advent just to simply happen to us but we want to ponder deeply about your person and about your work. And now you have given us these longings so that we would wrestle with you, that we would have hope in you. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts today 
And as we have longings that we would find a rescue in you and also our ultimate hope, not just in Christmas, but also as a rhythm of life. Holy Spirit, teach us, lead us, and comfort us. And at the same time, confront us and challenge us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, first of all, we're going to start off with, with this, that God hears our deepest longings. When you take a look at the book, the historical context of Luke, you see that Luke, out of all the other gospel authors, emphasizes God's sovereignty, that God is completely in control of all of history. And all of history is God's redemptive history. Not even the tiniest detail um, slips past God. And so these, verse, these first 25 verses um, actually belong to Luke only. Almost to pinpoint and put the spotlight on Elizabeth and Zechariah, saying God really loves them. And he had a specific purpose in his grand scope of redemptive history. And so he's highlighting it here. And then when you see the, the time of the day, it was, starts off in the days of Herod, king of Judea. There was a priest named Zechariah uh, of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife and the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And so it frames it in a time in which it was a time of spiritual confusion and spiritual darkness. A time of an unjust ruler that was in charge of their entire region. Herod the Great, uh, most people would say that he was a tyrant in every sense of the word. He had nine, some would say ten wives, and had executed one of the wives for no apparent reason. And so this is the context of um, this passage. It's a spiritually dark time. The leaders of Israel had grown enslaved in the tradition. Instead of feeding the sheep, they fed on their sheep. And so as a result of that, God brought judgment. And since the prophet Malachi, there was no clear authoritative word from God for over 400 years. And so when you enter, these, the priests, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're like a light in the dark. And Elizabeth could trace her line from Aaron's priestly ancestry. Zechariah and his wife were blameless before God, as the scripture says. doesn't mean they were perfectly sinless but rather they were obedient to the Lord. And yet, as Elizabeth was righteous, she was childless. Imagine after 20 or 30 years of trying to have a child, the only answer was no. Must have been so, so discouraging. And maybe as a young woman, she was full of hope. But as she grew older, into her 40s, into her 50s, maybe even down into her 60s, people would be whispering about Elizabeth every time she would come into the room and say, hey, that's the lady that could not have kids poor thing. Elizabeth felt, must have felt like a disgrace because we know that infertility was a sign of God's, uh, seen, seen as a sign of God's displeasure, not in every case. But that's what the context, the context um, of that culture was. Yet Luke is telling us her childlessness. And I want to say anybody who is suffering with your childlessness is not punishment. They had a deep aching in their heart, but that would at that point never, up to that point, never be fulfilled. 
And so even in our deepest and unfulfilled longings, God is not one who is distant. God is a God who, even in that sense, can you imagine the depth of hope, the depth of relationship that she had with, with God? And as Elizabeth cried out to God so much, so we are also called to cry out to God. And even Zachariah, can you imagine Zachariah's deep prayers? And maybe some of those prayers, he, he just lifted up and he probably just didn't think God was going to answer them. We see verses verse 8 through 23 that God responds to our deepest longings. Let's read verses 8 through 10 and says, Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. I'll just pause there. Do you ever notice that sometimes God delivers an important message always when you are busy, <laughs> always when you're doing the dishes and your kid like tugs you on the shoulder and they're like, Daddy, I need to go to the potty, or Daddy, I need this. It, it's always when you are busy doing things for the Lord that God seems to have a word for you. And that's what happened with Zechariah. His division was on duty. He was chosen by lot to enter into the temple to uh, burn incense. And while the priests were divided into 24 divisions, each of which served at different points of the temple of the week, he actually got a bonus that twice a year, uh, they cast lots to go into the holiest of holies. And so if you're a priest, you're among 18,000 priests. And so entering the holiest of holies was like winning the jackpot. I mean, to enter the holy, uh, holy place, to clean the altar of incense, and to offer fresh incense was rare, usually only occurring once in a lifetime of a priest. So can you see how God, the sovereign Lord of all history, he is clearly bringing attention I'm going to make this a once-in-a-lifetime event, Zachariah. And so what happened? As he goes into the temple of incense, we see the prayers of the people outside the hour of incense as also a Lucan characteristic uh, to say that major events are associated with prayer. And that is so cool because that's what our church is entering into about um, really d diving deep into prayer. But God doesn't move without prayer. Amen? And that's what's going to happen. Zechariah is going to go into a prayer meeting <laughs> and he's going to leave literally changed. Angel Lord appears to him on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah is just completely overcome with fear. The angel says, hey, don't worry. Do not be afraid for your prayer has been heard. And Zechariah's like, what, what prayer? <laughs> I don't want to die. <laughs> but I'm sure he's kind of going through the files and he's coming to the point where he stopped praying for a child. Maybe that, that was the grief of longing was still there. Maybe he had it offered up recently. Maybe it was a prayer long ago. Probably judging from the response in verse 18, it was probably long ago. And God is not indifferent to his cry. He's not indifferent to your cry. He had planned this out from the very moment so he can intersect his sovereign plan with Zechariah's. The angel goes further and says that Elizabeth will bear a son and he shall not bear the traditional name of his father, but he shall call his name John. John is actually means Yahweh. God has been gracious. And the announcement of his son's birth will just literally be a balm of joy. And beyond that, more, many will rejoice at his birth. 
So God responded to a cry of a man who wanted to be a father. But not only that, God responded to Zechariah's prayer, because I think Zechariah was praying for the kingdom to come. We see that later in verses 68 through 79. If you want to flip there, we can, but just in verse 68 to 79, later, um, after God answers his prayer, he refers to that, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. And that, my friends, was the promise of a, new, of a Messiah to come and save them from their enemies and to save them from sin. And, and Zechariah um, had been praying for that. And God says, I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to use your son to announce that birth of Messiah. Look how God is so sovereign. For 400 years of silence, he uses an old priest. He, he wants to, to bring redemption in the kingdom of God. Just to say, and he uses a priest to continue this sovereign plan. This is where angel, the angel gives insight into his character. We see that John is going to be a great man, not by worldly standards, but he will be great before the Lord. He is called to special standards, one known as the Nazarite vow. Even from, his, holy, from the, his mother's womb, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we know that man has inherited the sinful nature of Adam. And yet we see at the very beginning that even in the womb, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And God is going to use him to turn the hearts of uh, fathers to their children and children to their fathers. He's going to bring the greatest revival, a huge revival in Israel. And notice, it just came from an ordinary prayer for a baby out of an ordinary, inconsequential person like Zechariah. And out of that longing, that aching, there is an aching for God's kingdom to come in power that the world is not where it should be. And out of that prayer, Zechariah prayed for the kingdom to come. And after that, God responded. Zechariah seemed, Zechariah seemed to understand that his birth would be in fulfillment of Old Testament prophetic passages. A couple of Malachi chapter one and also Malachi chapter four, five through six. And it's really powerful that not only this word is that the people will rejoice in his birth, but also the people re refers to Gentiles, people who are outside of Israel, meaning most of us in this room. This is powerful when you think about Zacharias' name. It means God has remembered and Elizabeth. Her name means, God is my hope. God is sovereign, and his promises are always true. Whether he responds to your longings now, or not until your twilight years, or not even until the day you see him face to face, remember this, that God has remembered you. And he's on his tippy toes wanting to respond to you. 
to love you. And as God is a God of promise, as God is the one who will stand on his oath, he will stand on his promises. And this Jewish priest's longings led to the advent of God's salvation plan so as much God is still the God of promise. And our default response, though, is doubt. You would think that with all this, Zachariah's response was like, okay, Dad, okay, Lord, let's go. And that would be kind of like our questions. Or maybe it would be like Mary's uh, question when she questioned how it would work. She came out of a default faith. But when we take a look at our text in Luke chapter 1, Zachariah simply just ruled it out. He literally said, this is not going to work. And his default was doubt. He said, I don't believe this, so God, can you give me a confirming sign? And that's where the angel rebukes him. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to bring the good news to you. Zachariah, you did not need any sign. This appearance should be confirmation enough. And even those, I think it just reminds us that even those who are living closely with the Lord can sometimes miss it. And I think that really encourages me that we can still doubt. And even when we still doubt, and even if we do face some chastening or discipline from the Lord, God is still responding. While Zechariah was judged and struck silent and mute, this judgment was not overly severe. Because remember, being in the presence of God means that you should die. Zechariah deserved to die. Yet at the same time, God's default response is grace. Look at here in uh, chapter 1. He said, notice that God didn't revoke his promises due to Zechariah's doubt. He said, yeah, you're going to still be struck mute until these times, until these things take place. Don't you love that? God didn't revoke and cancel his plans. He said, I'm going to still use you in spite of that, and I'm still going to confirm your, 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 my plans through you, and that's going to be, you're not going to see it until you actually see it take place. Your prayers are going to be answered. And so we see God's default response here is grace, even in the grace of judgment. And I don't know about you, but if you are living in a place where you feel judged by the Lord, or you feel heavy, maybe you've come out of a very painful season or a difficult season, and you've had longings that have been unfulfilled, or you've had hurts or pains or disappointments, I just want to encourage you that even as God hears your longings, He's just waiting to graciously respond to your longing. That is His default position. Judgment has been exhausted on the cross. Now, mercy and grace is His default position. And as you are in sorrow and grief, and you maybe can't even envision ways out of this, that God is continually wanting to respond to you. And so I just want to encourage you that even as you're going through a cycle of doubt, maybe you're just like, well, maybe it's been spoken over you that you're going to be over that, and uh, maybe you'll get through this. Maybe you'll be in a time of healing. The Lord he is a God abounding in grace and steadfast love and take heart that his default over you is delight. So up to this point, Zechariah had spent a little bit too long in the Holy of Holies. People are getting alarmed. People are getting, ooh, man, do we need to 
lasso them up and drag them out <laughs> if they get struck. Um, and so his job of sweeping up incense and burning incense would have hinged out, um, hinged on the rest of the priests coming out and, and then pronouncing a customary Aaronic blessing like Numbers 624-26, which Randy preached about a few weeks ago. But whenever a priest didn't come out, that was a cause of alarm. Finally, he comes out, and yet he can't speak. So he's got to pass the baton to somebody else. And the people who have been praying, as they've been praying, God helped them to discern rightly that he had seen a vision. And so, after Zachariah's time of service ended, he just goes back home. It's the most ordinary thing um, after such an extraordinary event. Wives, what if your husband came back and they couldn't speak? Would you think anything differently? Do, you, do your husbands even do speak? <laughs> uh, maybe you wouldn't hear the difference, but I think Elizabeth probably figured it out, like, there's something happening to you. And... Um, and just imagine trying her, you know, her shock of not only figuring out why he didn't speak, but like trying to figure out what actually happened and then getting to the point of she is going to actually be able to conceive and have a baby and this is actually going to happen. I mean, people would probably, she probably thought she lost her mind. People are going to say that she lost her mind. Maybe that's why she went into seclusion. Hide herself. All the taunting and the whispering, people who would just shake their heads. There goes Elizabeth again. But as she felt her body changing, she felt the physiological changes, then she got to see the baby bump. Imagine the grief that gave way to joy. Perhaps, as Luke hints to, that Elizabeth just needed the time. Be silent before the Lord. Praise Him. Thank God. God, finally, in a way that was so unimaginable, answered her prayers. And as she said, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when He looked on me to take away my reproach among people. See, she shows us that even our default response to God's goodness is doubt. God's response, in spite of our doubt, is grace. And when God uses those words to look upon us, um, Adon, to, it means to notice. And it's so powerful that God notices us. And that ties into the Old Testament because whenever... God uses this word or very similar words like when God remembers someone and or his covenant, his promise, like in Noah and Genesis 8, that God, when he remembers, it's not that God remembers and forgets about it. It means that God is about to take action for that person's welfare. That happened with Rebecca as well, where God noticed her and then God was going to take action and she says the same thing. The Lord has taken away my reproach of childlessness. God is a God of listening and also God of action. And God is able to bring a baby out of a womb that was done and barren. That's our God. Because later, as Mary would say, nothing will be impossible with God. 
later on, we see that when actually when this happens and they try to do the baby naming, Zachariah is just like making words of why his name should be John. He finally gets a tablet, writes his name. His name should be John. Then his mouth is opened and his tongue loosed and that his mouth spoke. And what was it doing? The first words after nine months of being mute was worship. Blessing God. Isn't that amazing? God's mercy is more. Nothing thwarts his plan even when we are disobedient. Even when we don't believe that God is going to work, it reminds us that in spite of all those things, God is gracious and he is more than adequate in satisfying our deepest longings. He's going to satisfy every longing of every human heart and also the longing of all creation. Because what this story points to, the grand story that Jake is going to unfold for us, but it's our longings are greater echoes of a greater longing. That the whole world yearns for one day in which it will be fully restored. And your longings sound the outcry of creation. Turn with me in Romans 8, 22 to 23. 8, 22 to 23. Paul writes, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. Now, I know I'm treading on ground that I have no dealings with, and that is of childbirth. <laughs> so I'm not going to pretend that I know y'all's pain um, or that I actually even understand it. I don't. Um, I, I have no idea, but I did watch my wife go through it five times. Um, and um, when you're in childbirth, you just go through those contractions and there are sharp moments of increasing. And as you get further on, unbearable pain goes down from 10 to 5 to a few minutes contractions. And then that means you're just ready. Your water's going to break and you're ready to have a baby. And the pain, suffering that you have endured, ladies and mothers, in the same way creation is in labor. All of creation longs to be made new. <laughs> it's groaning. A creation, the world is groaning for salvation. And guys, we are longing. When we're in this season of Advent, is our longing to just get the latest sale or to get those Christmas lights or to make our house the way that it looks like in Homebody or in that um, news magazine? Is our longings simply just on the day-to-day -day getting ourselves dressed and fed and go to work and go home and do those same things again? But where are your longings, church? And this is something for me that I'm asking for myself is where are we making space for us to long for not just the season to come or for Christmas to come, but are we longing for the kingdom of God to come and redeem and restore us and for us to participate in that kingdom? Well, it was the longest night of my life. About three weeks ago, 
Grant remembers this very well because we were rocking. Uh, we were signed up. We were crazy people. Uh, but Grant was the first crazy person who signed me up for an overnight ruck, 12 hours of just minimal food, water, rest, 30 pounds of weight minimum, plus 10 pounds of water, gear, and stuff jammed into our backpacks. And uh, we would be at the mercy of the cadre, um, as we called it, and our trainers, who would lead us on a 12-hour trek going from 6 p.m. Saturday night all the way into the next morning, Saturday 9 a.m. And um, it was, I, we had no idea constant times. They, we couldn't use our watches, our phones. So we had no idea what time it was. And from the very get-go, they told us to plank for like seemingly enduring an eternity just so we can check all of our gear. <laughs> and if you didn't bring your gear, like I didn't, I did bring my gear, I lost it, found it later, but I forgot my battery and so I had to do 20 burpees. At the very beginning, my, my hands were just shaking in weakness. I was like, I don't know if I can even do this. I'm shaking literally at 6.30 or whatever time it was at night. And so um, they led us on so many different revolutions and evolutions, um, whether it be carrying your rucks on top of your head for like three miles, or whether carrying a telephone log on, your, on yourselves, 10 men under a log. Um, have you ever all done that? Ever decided to pick up a log and just walk through the streets of Sugarland in the dark? Uh, like, and I was in the front. I was one of the shorter people. So I had to be in the front. Me and Grant were also in the front. And we were like, um, hey, I'm with you, Grant. <laughs> and we're all this together. <laughs> we were just one of the shortest guys in our, in our squad and platoon. And yep, we got the brunt of it. Um, and so literally, we're like, okay, go around the block, right? And we got, no, we were going for an eternity. It was like almost four miles on this ruck overnight, going through like the streets, darkness of gloom. And I was just done. I just, I was like, Lord, if you're going to come again, come right now. I need you, Jesus. Um, but, you know, I was, I was like, no, I, I did say that. I actually did say that. It was that bad. <laughs> I seriously, you laugh. You go, you guys got to put yourself on another log one of these days. But um, I was just seriously groaning, man, under the weight of the sandbags, the logs, Everything they threw at us, the water, and yet this was teaching me. Yeah, that's that was uh, the respect rush, actually, guys that were um, just going through it. They had 24 hours, can you imagine that? Um, and every single time I wanted to quit, but every single thing, what I remembered, that's when my brothers helped me, and that's where they reminded me of what I was there for, that I could keep on pressing on because there's other guys that can hold the law. And that I can go because my family's there at the very finish line. My, the guys that I work out with, they're there at the ones that are supporting me. There were points of the early morning, I just wanted to quit. I just wanted to stop and be done with it, and just bow out. But at that point, the Lord just did it the zeal of the Lord or something helped me to push through that early morning. Because I was like, I want to I finish this all the way to the end. 
And when we saw the one thing that gave us hope, it was the sunrise. The sunrise. Because you know what the sunrise means. There's hope. There's hope. I'm going to finish this. By God's grace, we're going to go at it. We saw the sunrise. And it's no accident that Zechariah in his prophecy referred to the sunrise back in 76 through 79. Listen to this. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You might not have a log under you, but you might be under the crushing weight of whatever it is that you're going through. Remember the sunrise. When you are celebrating Advent, you are disrupting the enemy's territory that is not his anymore. You're saying, my longings are an outcry of God's redemption and that his creation is crying out and will be fulfilled. Zachariah's shattered dreams, disappointment, and Elizabeth's disappointment in the wait. But there is still hope. There is still praise and worship yet to be had. There is still trusting in God's promises in the wait because Advent is a stirring disruption that we can hope again. Amen? And even in the midst of friends being detained, even in bad things happening to our friends and to ourselves, even in the hostilities in the Middle East, even for the sake of the persecuted church, the race wars, the kingdom of God is breaking in and is breaking in through the church. God is coming. Amen, church? He's going to redeem the world. And just as the first advent, Jesus is going to come and the second advent to rule and reign. And I just want to ask us, church, maybe take out your notes or want us to ask this question. Are you longing for this? It's not, not just a thing in your mind, but is it something that just grips you? Our greatest cultural MO of the day is just we're busy. We're doing this and that. But you know what? I think it'll be all lost if we don't spend that time in prayer confessing more of our longings and asking even God to surrender our longings so that God will give us a greater longing for him. And we really got to do this this last week, Saturday, at our prayer meeting, or at the prayer set. And just God really showed up. And just as Jordan talked about through Isaiah 9, it wasn't just, it wasn't us. It was just God and his zeal accomplishing this. And he, if you're even saying, how's this God to be? Well, God is going to do it. Because he's a God of zeal. It's not anything that we do, but as we show up, God is going to do amazing and powerful things. And it's going to come from the Holy Spirit and working through our longings. It's going to spark that. So I just want to invite the worship team and just the um, prayer team to come up. And I just would like for us to sit with the Lord as we reflect on Advent. Um, sit with him in these questions. And this is for my own heart, too. Uh, I got to do that. But let's sit and listen to the Lord. What are the deepest longings of my heart? 
God, how are you responding to my longings? God, how do you want me to respond? And so will you just take the next few minutes at your seat or wherever you like? There's freedom in this place. Feel free to kind of dialogue those things with the Lord, um, um, just yourself and your own hearts. And then after that, I will kind of tie us up in prayer. Then there's prayer team, left, right. Um, and uh, I guess I can be in the corner in the back. And um, if there's any lungs of your heart that you just need to get prayer over, I just encourage you, go, come for that. So let's sit and listen to the Lord.